sit back in your seats, get something to eat, and watch this movie. Don't let the kids see it, because, well, let, let, we'll let you hear the, the um, beginning of Thank you. Hello and welcome to Left of the Projector. I am your host, Evan, back again with another film discussion from the left. I'm happy to announce that you can now sign up and be a paid subscriber to the show directly from Spotify. So you can just pop on there and support the show. Also, if you would be so kind as to smash that ratings button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this show, right now as always you can follow the show on tiktok and instagram at left of the projector pod enjoy the show all right we will jump into the conversation this week on the 2019 film knives out and joining me to discuss it we have amanda Al and Dawson, thank you all for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Of course. Well, uh, you know, the I don't, I don't remember whether you had uh, recommended this movie, Amanda. I had seen it before already, but I think it was a, um, given that they just released a sequel that's completely unrelated to the movie, with the exception mm-hmm. of Daniel Craig's character, Benoit Blanc. But I don't know, did, uh, uh, did you recall, uh, you know, when you had seen it before, it having this sort of very structure or, you know, kind of a hierarchical kind of structure about it because of the way sort of the family, you know, is set up. So just as a quick recap, the movie is basically about a family who's sort of the the patriarch of the family. Harlan is a mystery writer and he has a bunch of children and grandchildren that are constantly, you know, at odds for his money, you know, his inheritance, their inheritance and so uh, Benoit Blanc is brought in once he is found dead. So that's kind of the the layout of the of the movie. Um, but yeah, anyone who wants to kind of you know kind of give their you know initial impressions or anything like that. Right off the bat, this is Al. Um, I noticed that it's a film about archetypes. So each of the characters within the film represents a distinct caricature of a person in the realm of. Politi- in the political scope there's and social yeah and the social scope as well uh, you know there's there's people who take up the role as the rebel there's people that take up the role as the caregiver the ruler the creator and i think that because of that it shows how the privilege of class can be uh, i guess like a distinct quality in in every sort of character within the world you can you can be any sort of character with privilege with class superiority i guess so with with some sort of sort some sort of class domination within your particular archetype yeah yeah i think evan actually you mentioned that before how uh there is like a hierarchy within like like the the ones that are like more of the beneficiaries and the ones that consider themselves more of the self-made people in the family. So there's like a hierarchy within those like subgroups of the family as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, uh, you know, you have all of the people who are his children all kind of make themselves out. Specifically, uh, I think Linda, who's played by um, Jamie Lee Curtis, 
makes herself mm-hmm. out as being the sort of self-made. She created her own company. And later you find out, I think, that the her father gave her like a million dollars or some some large sum of money to be the seed money for her supposed, uh, you know, rags to riches story, which is, you know, for really all of them, with the exception of Marta, who is sort of the caregiver nurse for Harlan, everyone mm-hmm. really is just, you know, has their tentacles in Harlan for for money. About Linda, one thing that's really interesting too is that not only does she consider herself self-made, um, she considers like Joni and Walt to both be leeches off of the family at as if they somehow are doing less than she is, even though, again, she received a million dollar loan. Walt just manages a company. He fundamentally does the exact same thing she does. Yeah, no, that's totally true. She, she, yeah, she does refer to them as that. And Walt kind of has this sense that he's doing something great by being this, uh, you know, his publishing company when really he's just, I don't know. I mean, obviously you have to do a little work, I guess, to get things started, but it seems like it was well underway before Walt got involved. Yeah, it seems like the constant theme throughout those characters is un- they're unwittingly benefiting from nepotism. Yeah. And, but like, uh, and also I want to point out too, like, Marta is kind of like, they're like, it's kind of like, I don't want to say like pet, but they are like, you know, like uh, throughout the film, they're like, we'll take care of you, Marta. Or they like, um, Meg is like super defensive of her. She's the more liberal uh, Marxist college school character or whatever they yeah. want to say she's going to. I wish that university existed. But um, but uh, yeah, and so she's kind of like their, I guess- Pet for, project. Their pet project or like their way of like justifying to themselves that they are still like down to down to earth or something i don't know it's an interesting relationship well i feel like they um one of the notes i put down sort of at the beginning when they sort of have her when she's around is that they're fine with her and treating her respectfully when she's no threat except for like literally just the help the person who you know gives Mm -hmm. her father their medicine and you know kind of befriends him because none of them actually want to be his friend they just want to take from him so She's not a threat to them, so it doesn't matter, you know, what she's really doing. She, they can pretend that she's some kind of equal, but then later mm-hmm. we see, you know, the knives come out as the as as I'll use the, the title. <laughs> yeah, I think they're all dishonest with each other, and well, yeah, they're dishonest in how they interact with one another, and mm-hmm. they're also dishonest in the way they interact with Harlan and the family as well. Um, like one thing that really stuck out to me is like Marta really being the only honest person in both her interpersonal interactions and in her relation to Harlan. Um, and that's kind of potentiated by the fact that, you know, she's forced to be honest because she gets violently ill if she even <laughs> tries to tell a lie. <laughs> which, is, which is such a, uh, I was just talking about this with my partner, the uh, which we had seen Knives Out before and how that sort of little piece in there kind of creates a um i don't i think i like almost like a fail safe you know in these kinds of like murder mystery types of things you don't usually have that little piece where you can actually tell you know it's like the tell for you know a poker player or whatever that gives her a way that makes her that honest person like you're saying it's funny you should mention that because um so and this is a spoiler for anyone who hasn't 
seen the film yet. Oh, but, that's fine. Spoilers are cool. <laughs> but at the end, the you know the climax of the film, they she does lie, and then she wins. She withholds. <laughs> she withholds her uh, her limitation for the sake of uh, deceiving um, ransom. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's interesting because everybody uses her I, I guess like uh, weakness as as a way to kind of manipulate her throughout the film. Mm-hmm. They uh, and Ransom specifically does that, and I think it's really interesting that that's sort of a commentary on how the ruling class thinks they have the the working class figured out oh yeah they yeah they 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 have them mapped out as far as their limitations go but they don't understand that they can transcend their limitations complexities yeah 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 like the scene where he you know buys her the meal and i think he buys her beans and or something (laughs) and you know knowing that this is she's not gonna she can't lie or that's that's coming out the other way so yeah, no, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, and as far as like all the family members go, uh, well, Ransom is like my favorite character, <laughs> even though he's the biggest shithead of them all. But like, he's he's the only one that doesn't seem like he's a he's a, a kiss ass to his his grandfather, and like kind of like doesn't really care what people think of him, whereas everyone else in the family does in a way. You know, like they want the outside especially the detectives which are the outside perspective like that yeah they are good people that they are hardworking. ransom's like yeah like he doesn't care about anything you can see the way that he dresses like his sweater that sweater is like so gross it was like <laughs> kind of yellow and like tattered on the collar so he didn't really like you could tell he doesn't really care what anyone thinks about him well and we were talking about the symbolism of what he was wearing yeah so it's a white collared shirt Mm-hmm. that's tattered on the neck yeah so it's it's kind of like maybe a symbolism for the white collared worker you know they they kind of they the, there's a, a deceptive quality to the white the white collared class i guess and and perhaps he's sort of a representation of that mm-hmm. yeah and then you I mean you see he has a bmw and a very nice house so it's not like he's He's not living, uh, you know, um, yeah, he's not living a frugal lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, since you mentioned Ransom, it's kind of be interesting to kind of go through some of the, I feel like all the characters are, are, I mean, they don't have like a, a very complex nature to them. They're all kind of, some of them are a bit surface level, but I think they're interesting. And I find mm-hmm. the uh, kind of the dynamic between some of the siblings, especially the politics that they kind of pretend to, I think you mentioned Al's kind of how they, you know, symbolize, um, you know, different kind of components of, of society. You have Linda's husband is, is Richard Drysdale. Um, I can't remember the actor. I wrote down almost all the actors names. I'm blanking on the actor. Uh, plays Johnson. Yes. And Don so Johnson. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, he's sort of the, you know, um, kind of Republican hard nose kind of character. Whereas sort of the other side, you have Joni, is sort of the you know kind of seen as the quote unquote liberal of the group, which is you know still again none of them are liberal really at all. They they can just kind of pretend you know mm-hmm. for their for their little 
you know, uh, drunken arguments. It's, and then you have their kids, both on both sizes. Meg, who you mentioned, is sort of like the, you know, she's in like liberal arts college, I guess, presumably. And then Walt and Donna's child is this, uh, I think his name is Jacob. And they kind of refer to him as like an alt-right troll, which I think is kind of a a funny little little nugget there as, you know, uh, this kid yeah. who's just kind of causing trouble online. And they they also the detective calls him the uh the Nazi little, the little Nazi, Nazi boy. The little Nazi boy in the bathroom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um I think that's uh so Jacob is uh he's Walt's kid, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think it's it's interesting too because Walt seems kind of like uh kind of a libertarian like a mm-hmm. like a uh, right-leaning libertarian mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then his spawn is an alt-right nazi and i think that that's kind of like it kind of symbolizes like this sort of gateway drug into <laughs> yeah. that type of ideology you know walt, walt is the alt-right pipeline yeah <laughs> like you know sort of diminishing uh the the value of other people until it becomes just so self-important that it becomes some sort of Nazi ideology. And he is the most aggressive towards Marta and uh, bringing up her mother's um, uh, undocumented status. He is the most aggressive towards her. That's true. I think his wife, Donna also kind of, I remember at the party, I don't remember exactly what she said, but I feel like she sort of is agreeing with all the things that Richard is saying about sort of being a, you know, oh, well, you know, uh, they, they think they're talking about they try to bring her in on the conversation about immigration and they always are constantly getting the country she's from wrong. They all they all <laughs> don't give a shit about her. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. And and so then when Hart, like when uh, uh, Ransom goes off about at the end about his ancestral home <laughs> that was purchased in the 80s. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's talking about, you know obviously a family that had been there maybe four generations tops uh, on this landmass, you know, talking to someone who's very likely, you know, at least representationally supposed to be of a native sort of bloodline to this continent. Marta, yeah. Yeah. Implying that how dare, how dare this person, this imposter take my ancestral home and it's and it's yeah it's just a slap in the face it's the slap in the face that this you know this country does to people of native descent all the time yeah that's true Um, another thing i found interesting about jacob is that um you know despite walt and richard generally agreeing on like immigration and again like kind of mocking not marta but like you know, other Latin American immigrants. Um, Richard at one point, like, also identifies Jacob as like being quote literally a Nazi, as if he's trying to distance himself from that, even though their politics really are not that far off. It's an optics thing for Richard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he doesn't want to be identified as that, even though everything he says is basically, like you said, is is just the same thing with you know different different language, really. They come here the right way. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, that whole thing was... Yeah. 
the politics they I mean this came out in 2019 so given the time frame you know it and probably written a couple of years before it kind of felt very much like they were kind of uh you know channeling I don't want to call I don't want to you know bring in Trump so much but I feel like they were using that as like a springboard for I mean I guess it's a pretty common conservative talking point so yeah it has nothing to do with that really yeah i think more so than any other time in the past that particular like 2016 2015 era of just american politics and where they were going and just the the fractured qualities and the polar polarization of people Mm -hmm. uh it spawned like all these yeah all these archetypes that these people represent and I mean, you know, further, you know, like the sequel, you know, I'm not going to get too into that, but it seems to kind of carry that same uh, theme. And that, and well, we we did talk about Ransom some. Um, I mean, I think one of the things that is interesting, maybe going back towards kind of slowly kind of sketching some of the, the movie is mm-hmm. you kind of get a sense of Marta's sort of character and sort of her home life. You see these all these families are, you know, Richard and Linda presumably are very wealthy, you know, big company. Uh, Joni doesn't seem to have any money. She's kind of just living off of Harlan. Walter seems to be fairly wealthy running the publishing company. And then they show Marta's home life where she has her sister and her mom, who we find out is undocumented, living, you know, a very modest lifestyle and you know seemingly like a a, you know regular apartment complex like most people would be living you know that are uh you know the the average working class person and so they really showed kind of the the different lifestyles of the two especially when they you know show the 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 home from above you know along the river i think it's along the hudson river upstate new york or i think that's where it's supposed to be yeah i think that It also kind of talks about how at one point when uh, Harlan's, you know, thinks he's dying. uh, He talks about how long it would take for the ambulance to get out to their countryside estate. Right. You know, that's so remote and away from all the, you know, all the peasants, you know, essentially. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You can continue. And I mean, that's that's kind of also sort of a a deliberate idea as well that i think ryan uh ryan johnson yeah no the uh the director oh rain johnson ryan johnson yeah um he did the the last jedi um but i think he was trying to kind of show that like you know you remove yourself from society so much there's no one to keep you safe there's, you know, you might think that all of your wealth is going to protect you, but if you withdraw from people so much that you, that you think you're so superior to them, you're basically kind of slitting your own throat. Yeah. You're on your own. Yeah. Also, actually one thing I just remembered that this is kind of unrelated, but I think that Linda mentions that they're in real estate and she was a realtor initially is kind of how she supposedly got her start. So, (laughs) so she's kind of just a landlord perhaps yeah yeah they don't ever really yeah. say explicitly that but that's mean something like that house flipping is the uh 
is the way for people to become wealthy on their own. And I'm doing finger quotations that you can't see. (laughs) Um, It's, it's extremely exploitive. Uh, We talk about it all the time in our home. It's, it, you know, we, we see a lot of people from our punk rock community that real estate agents that become that, you know, because it is, it is the way to make it, but like, it's also, at what cost, yeah. you know, it's profiting from, com- from necessities, from commodifying our necessities, <clears throat> especially when they have the punk rock background. It's like, you know, better but anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't think that Linda really, she doesn't really in that political discussion, she doesn't kind of give her where she mm-hmm. lands, but I think it's, probably obvious where she does land in that conversation so she doesn't this is no this doesn't matter this this uh she doesn't care about uh the people and what they need um Mm -hmm. and the the only character that they kind of try and make i think uh you might have mentioned al is that meg so Joni's daughter who's in sort of that liberal arts type college setting she does. She tries to befriend, or it seems like she's closer in age to Marta, so she kind of befriends her. And you kind of, you're, they try and make it her a sympathetic character, but then, sort of later on in the film, they're all kind of watching her as she, you know, places a specific call to her to kind of gather intel for the family. So at the end of the day, she's looking out for herself. Well, they all know that without their means, they would cease to exist in the in the world that they exist in that their entire uh their entire paradigm would change on an instant you know which it it has and i think that that you know in a sense is kind of the heartless quality of harlan is that he his family really wouldn't be able to bounce back on their feet they would they would die in the cold like you know like an abandoned child in the woods they they are incapable of helping themselves mm-hmm. yeah that's absolutely true yeah i mean the the i mean the the one character we or i guess the the only characters we haven't really mentioned or talked about is sort of the detective who's played by uh daniel craig benoit blanc who's sort of the you know the i don't want to call him the comic relief but he he's the you know the southern draw talking detective that's brought in to solve the mystery as we find out later hired by ransom uh chris evans character and then we have the two police officers and i think there's a couple maybe side components to it and i had found this thing online an article uh discussing this movie and the classes and they kind of leave sort of uh marta as that working class character the the cops and benoit blanc are sort of middle class and then the rest kind of falls into that sort of corporate class area, era, area. And then at the top, you kind of have Harlan. And then at the end of the movie, all of that kind of switches around with Marta becoming sort of this upper class person. And the others, I guess, technically still have their companies with the exception of, uh, I guess, Linda still has her company. She's the only one that really kind of doesn't lose anything out of all of this. I guess maybe her husband who was cheating on her. I think that it's uh, it's interesting that they gave Benoit Blanc uh, a Southern accent because especially in the United States, a lot of people generalize people with Southern accents as being less intelligent for some reason. Yeah. And so it kind of makes him a fly on the wall to them mm-hmm. 
you know, they, they constantly make fun of his accent, like Foghorn Leghorn, Kentucky accent or something. And, and, and it, and it makes them look down on him for it. When yeah, he's underestimate him. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They don't see him as a threat in that sense. So that's actually perfect. It makes me wonder if his accent's real then. <laughs> well, in the, in the, in the sequel, he, he, he continues the, uh, the accent and, I think that I mean we won't get we won't talk about the next movie. Maybe not everyone's seen it, but th- that kind of plays in the same way as he's kind of an under underestimated character too. So and we're on the topic of uh, Blanc. Thinks something that uh, it's kind of interesting to me is that in the beginning of the film, they don't seem to they for the most part seem to be just irritated by him. Like it's like why are you even here? Like it was a suicide. Um, and that kind of slowly fading away and then realizing that he is a threat because, uh, um, not that he's a threat, um, but that Marta's going to take everything. Then they suddenly care that their dad might have been murdered. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, to all of those, to that, to the family, each, any person that's sort of not on their level or in their, circle is you know either a you know a a friend or a foe and marta became was a friend initially and you know became the foe so it's whatever you know you can do for me to help me you know what benefit will you give to me and if you're a threat then we will you know do something and it's funny because i feel like they probably all you know without if, if ransom had succeeded in framing marta and it had gone that way, and then they all got their inheritance back, and then they found out about that. They probably would just be like, "Well, you know, it's fine. Is you know, we did what we had to do to keep you know everything in our family." But they don't seem to be that angry at him, even at the end of the movie. Yeah, as he's walking to the police car, they're just kind of like, kind of seem annoyed more than anything. <laughs> right. I mean, he didn't technically kill him, but they essentially they did. He did. Yeah. Well, he f- had every intention to. Well, yeah, right. He wanted someone to kill. Right. He, you know, he didn't want to get his hands dirty. So he had to have sort of someone else do it. And then he realized there needed to be more steps as the, you know, the plan failed. Right. Which, uh, which was interesting because I say that's interesting so much. Sorry. Uh <laughs> So Harlan himself actually explains that Ransom is the most like him. He, and it's true. He creates these convoluted plans Mm. that eventually shoot them in the foot. Harlan didn't need to die, but he did because he wouldn't listen to Marta. And, uh, and Ransom didn't, you know, didn't need to go along with this huge elaborate plot. You know, it's, all of these convoluted plots were the downfall of both of those characters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like the, I mean, any good sort of, as this is literally a mystery, but like you read a mystery novel, the person ends up being caught because they have too many elaborate things all happening at once. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The archetype of the, of the, um, of just sort of like the, the mystery genre sort of, I feel like it sort of flipped around a little bit, you know, cause it's, presents itself like one of his books, but it ends up being, you know, sort of the class dynamics, I think, turns the movie into something different. Probably not the same kind of book that he was writing. He probably didn't have class dynamics in his 
own books. <laughs> Presumably, I don't know. I don't. They don't really say, except for the one cop who's like always geeking out about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's a he's a pretty interesting character as well. He he represents sort of a a jester or like some sort of fanboy for the that kind of ties everyone together. He's a fan of Blanc. He's a fan of uh, of Harlan. And so he kind of ties those characters together, but in the sort of like doughy-eyed fanboy sort of persona that makes him taken less seriously by the uh, the family as well. And then uh, the the main police officer... Lakeith. Lakeith. Uh, or that's his... Uh, uh, detective, or I don't remember his name, but his I got was, I got the IMD. IMD. I think it's Elliot, maybe Lieutenant Elliot. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's kind of he kind of has this sort of third person perspective. Uh, he's not as engaged as LeBlanc or Blanc, even though Blanc is sort of in the background at the beginning. He he still serves this sort of uh, I guess like overseer sort of presence throughout the film but not as direct as Blanc, even though Blanc is sort of that person at the beginning. It's interesting when there's movies with like, a, he's not really a private detective. He's more, I mean, I guess he's kind of is uh, Blanc. Cause you know, typically, you know, the way they kind of portray police in this movie is kind of somewhat incompetent, but sort of also just kind of there to go through the motions. They're, like, they're not really doing anything. And Blanc is there to kind of actually do work, but only because he's hired. He's not doing this out of, you know, the kindness of his heart. He's also getting paid. He's getting paid a lot. That's the thing. He also mentions there's like a wad of cash. So he has his motives. Yeah. And he was, and it's the fact that uh, Ransom brought him in, into the storyline, kind of underestimating what he would expose. Like he essentially incriminated his employer, you know. <laughs> exactly. He 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 didn't he didn't. Uh, yeah, he didn't think he was as good as he. Yeah, he underestimated him. I guess is really the easiest way to say it. And he he basically sacked his own boss. Yeah. Well, and like that's that's a that's a good murder mystery though. You know, it's always who you least suspect. You know, Scooby Doo, you pull the mask off. It's always. So he's a rich white guy, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, usually, yeah. The um, I don't, the, I don't, I don't know why this note just, I just is kind of like going through the my notes along the movie, and, and one thing I I made this little completely random note was that a few times in the sh- in the movie they show uh, Marta checking her email, and you know, one point she's like, oh, I forgot to check my email, which is kind of a funny line. But she's like checking her phone and you notice that the phone is cracked. And I, I'm sure that was intentional to given that, you know, she's working as a nurse, working class, can't afford to get a new phone. They're all, you know, probably have, you know, multiple phones and, you know, doing like, you know, Ransom's got burner phones to do his shady business. So it's, uh, you know, little the little things I think were were well were well done in this movie. I'm sure there's lots of other Easter eggs I didn't notice. That car in particular, I had that exact car Marta has. It's a 2011 Hyundai Accent. It has like roll down windows, and yeah, it's just all around a very horrible car. So when I saw that the first 
every time I see that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes me <laughs> really recognize the position she's in. Yeah, the part where she's trying to like chase, like run away from the cops and he's ransom saying like to Florida and she is and it's going 60. <laughs> yeah, It's like it just doesn't go any faster. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I remember the car. Yeah, it's very, you know, you very much see the disparity between them, you know, throughout um, the the movie. And I think the the other thing that they also constantly mention about her, you know, they all, all constantly make um, mistakenly say where she's from, like Ecuador or I don't know which other countries they mention. But they also often will say how she's a hard worker early in the movie and then later – when they realize that she's been named as the, you know, the heir to the, the fortune, she's no longer that. She's now, you know, she's stealing from them. She's taking. Or sleeping. Oh yeah, that's that's another thing. So they characterize her as someone who had to have sex to get what she wanted. There's no yes. way she could have, she could have accessed this. This Latina is a seductress, and she. And she slept her way to the top. Yeah. Jacob screams, you're having sex with my grandfather. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty common speaking as a Latino man. Uh, it's pretty common to have ideas put upon the, you know, the variety of genders within my ethnicity, particularly among women, they have that generalization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they just assume that there's no way she could have maybe just been nice to their father and he liked her because she's actually a good person. And that's kind of his justification too. And and I think that's something that's never really never really discussed in the movie much at all. It's you know, you can kind of, we can kind of get your thoughts on it is. So Harlan makes the decision to give the money to her. He's very he's friends with her over whatever amount of years that she's been his nurse. And he's tired of his his kids always kind of cheating him out of money and taking things and not being good people and decides to give all the money to her. What kind what does that say about him, you know, as a you know, this wealthy upper class, you know, I wouldn't say he's maybe he's a capitalist. I don't think he's quite that. I mean, maybe. Um what what would bring you to do that other than to stick it to your family. They're a product of his creation. And I think he has some deep seated regret Mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think he has a lot of uh, pride for his work, but not so much the pride in what his work has given him and given his family and what it has done to them. I think that, there's a certain amount of divisiveness in what he did because surely he knows his family enough to know how they would take it out on Marta. Vicious. You know, it's, it's not like they're strange to him and how they would react. He's very aware of how they would react. Yeah. So in a sense, he, he signed Marta up to deal with that and, you know, whether he thought that that was a fun joke or not, or, or it, it was still like something he didn't fully understand is that he didn't seem shocked that his medicine potentially got switched up and that he was intentionally being drugged to die. 
it seemed like he understood that his family was capable of killing him. Hmm. Someone in his family. So if he understands that his family is capable of such a thing, that they're that selfish, what would that affect? What would that assumption have with the the outcome of Marta getting all of this inheritance that they feel entitled to? Mm-hmm. Would, I also, would, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, I like generally agree. I also think that the the way in which he died kind of makes it harder because like he talked with ransom about that Marta was already getting it right if he had talked had the time to like explain that to everyone else before he died um I don't know not to like defend Harlan but like I think if he had the ability to explain that to everyone it would have been easier for Marta to deal with the pushback from the family true yeah and he probably also I mean your Harlan's he might have expected Ransom to take that information and share it with his family, whereas he instead immediately hatches a plan to what he's going to do to prevent this from happening, to, you know, implicate her in his father's murder. You know, he's willing to basically kill his dad to get what's his, and if everyone else gets some, you know, so be it. But that didn't work out that way. He just kept that information to himself, so... I don't know. Yeah, Harlan definitely didn't consider that. But I think you said, Al, that do you think that Harlan understood after the mistake happened or supposed mistake what actually happened, that he was, that Ransom had engineered this? He seemed to have understood that somebody had intentionally done it because he used the words. So if someone were to switch this medicine up, this would have this effect on me in this amount of time. You know, he's, yeah, he's, playing it back to himself exactly how he thinks things are being played out. Almost like he's writing a story about a murder. (laughs) Yeah. Right, right. And And so that's why he's starting to concoct how he's going to defend Marta. Yeah, and he knew that Marta was a good nurse. That's like mentioned also by the detective later on when she picks up the bottles and she knows exactly which bottle it is without looking at the label, she can tell the slight difference in the viscosity of it. It's a hard word. Um, And so he knows that she's a good nurse. So yeah, he probably put that together pretty quickly in that moment, it seems. Yeah. I I hadn't, I, for so I didn't, I didn't uh, consider that prospect in my mind. I was just thinking he was using his sort of mystery, you know, his mind of being able to create, you know, they kind of allude to the fact that he thinks of his plots just kind of out of thin air. He just kind of comes up with them. So he was kind of creating it, but maybe not realizing it actually was what they had done, not just a possibility. Mm-hmm. And knowing how angry Ransom was earlier, and like you said, I think, Al, is that they were a product of him, maybe Ransom the most of all of them. So he, he almost knew what was could happen in telling this information to Ransom intentionally. Like he, he gave him this information. It's almost like he was setting up a murder mystery type of situation himself by, you know, putting that domino down. Not Maybe yep. not intentionally, but just for fun, for fun, I could say maybe it was. Well, the way that uh, Harlow was kind of cleaning house during his birthday party, 
did seem like there was a certain deliberateness to what he was doing. You know, he decided to cut people off that had never been cut off. Uh, he decided to tell that to Harlan. Um, the note it, about it, his, uh, about Linda's husband cheating on him. Exactly. Like there was a lot of, uh, I guess like sort of purging that he did almost like somebody who understands that their end is near, you know, like, yeah. I guess perhaps being 85, it's something worth considering, but why choose that evening and why, you know, why not be so shocked, I guess, when, mm-hmm. you know, when he found out that that's, that he was possibly going to die from getting an overdose of morphine. And he had just amended his will the week before. So he had exactly. just made this decision. He, he amends his will. He starts doing all these things. I mean, whether or not he's intending to create this, uh, you know, chaotic situation, you know, I mean, you were saying before is he had to know what this would mean for Marta and kind of her, his whole family going after her once it was revealed. But I guess he couldn't have anticipated his death being so soon. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a leap to say that he, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. So yeah, I kind of view Harlan almost as a class traitor, except because he never, he's never been in Marta's shoes. He couldn't have foreseen like how his family would react to her. Um, and yeah, I don't think he was like anticipating for all this to happen either. Um, I think it just makes sense that like he wanted to cut people off like as soon as he changed the will, maybe thinking he'd live a few more years and then they would kind of be able to simmer down before it's revealed that Marta's actually getting everything. Yeah. Or maybe this was almost like, a you know, he was doing this as a way to, you know, in the same way that, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the adage of like, Oh, they got to, his family has to pick themselves up by their bootstraps and, you know, actually get along without his handouts. You know, they could, you know, do something on their own and then he would, like, all right, you guys, you guys earned this now. Now you can have my money later on. It was sort of like, uh, you know, he's testing them maybe. There was a foreword that he added to the will, though. That's mm-hmm. right. He had, it, was, it was like a whole note, right? Yeah. It was kind of a, this will be hard for you, but understand it's best. this is what's best. And so there was a certain amount of, I guess, withholding of the information. But it did seem like because of that note, there was sort of a deliberate uh, uh, meaning, like an intention of surprise, I guess. Yeah. Just reflecting on it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like he treated his own life like the same way he treated his, you know, his uh, his work of writing novels. It just, it, life was a game to him. I mean hard to see he he wrote the note for his daughter linda on the paper then he thought was empty or richard thought the paper was empty and then she heated the back and then all the the ink comes out you know like uh it's like a gag from like who framed roger rabbit with the reappearing ink or something it's you know it's like uh it's all very you know toying with people i did like how they showed that that's how they communicated when she was younger like it was sort of they they 
they did a really good job at showing how these devices throughout the film connected with these individuals. Um, the, the ink with Linda, she understood how that worked, you know, like it was right. something that they did that was theirs. Which makes me think that they were definitely like the closest. Yeah. Like she, like at first when you're, when they're interviewing her in the beginning, the detectives are interviewing her. She's like, oh, we had this secret way of communicating. You're like, okay, whatever. Like, I'm sure you do. But it turns out they did. And yeah. I love that little, little uh, detail. Yeah. And then, oh, do like, what about, uh, is it Nana? The oh, yeah. Harlan's mom? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a fantastic character. She didn't say pretty much anything. She was like, again? Are you back again, Ransom? She's so crucial to the whole unraveling of everything. And I really love how the detective, uh, Blanc, like, really does not underestimate her. No. Um, They want to put her in a home or something. They're like, they're worried about her. And yet she's very, you know, maybe not as quick-witted as someone who's younger, but was mm-hmm. was together in some sense. A lot of underestimated characters. Yeah. Did they ever say her age outright in the film? I don't think so. But I mean, if she, Harlan was 85, I mean... She's got to be like 105. Yeah. yeah or 102. <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking like 17. I'm giving, you know, I don't know. When she had Harlan. Different, different times. <laughs> I don't know. At least, a, at least a hundred. Where we have to go there, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, which means what's that? Well, she pre-existed the wealth and likely went through the, you know, the Great Depression and a couple of wars and a couple of wars. Yeah. So she probably understood a lot more than other people as well throughout the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's probably. I mean, presumably Harlan probably grew up poor. I mean, I guess they don't really say, but. You know, uh, given that he seems to have gained his wealth from his writing, it probably would be safe to assume he didn't grow up wealthy. I don't know. Maybe that's I don't know. Maybe that's not a. Yeah. And she's the one character that needed the least from Harlan. Like she just she's just kicking in her chair. <laughs> yeah. There's the dip. funny line, too, where I think they say, like, oh, whether she has to go to bed or whether she's eaten. <laughs> and she had like they mentioned that she had like eaten the entire like a spread of bagels or something. I don't know. I don't know what the food was, but they say something like that. I thought it was the so, I mean, salmon plate, the salmon, yeah. salmon plate. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and Walt, uh, the way he talks to her is like, Nana food. Do you want to eat the food for dinner? <laughs> for dinner. Like, yeah. All, all of them of are very patronizing of everyone really. Right. Anyone who's below <laughs> yeah. them, they all are very patronizing of Marta, even though they act, friendly to her you know because i mean really they only care about her because they have to assume the health of the you know the person who holds all of their money mm-hmm. until she becomes the one that holds the money yeah yeah i know um uh dawson you had mentioned some some uh some of the um kind of the corrupting interpersonal kind of things that happen. I don't know if you wanted to to mention some of that here too. I don't, I don't know. If, maybe we've kind of talked a little bit about it. Uh, I'll go back over kind of um, and expand on it. So like, um, I don't know. I feel like this family 
in general could be pretty like normal or at least normal in sense of like how the average American middle-class families viewed if they weren't so wealthy, right? Um, like, again, everyone was totally fine that Harlan died. No one really got sad until like, they were almost kind of happy. Um, you know, like they pretended to be a little bit sad, but until they found out Marta was in the will, no one like felt anger or like true sadness. Um, it even suggests that like, you know, they talk so like, fondly of Harlan, but it's like, again, his death, they don't really care about. They were more so just waiting for him to die so that they could officially have that wealth transferred to them. Um, another thing that was kind of interesting to me, and we kind of touched on this already, but um, like Meg and Marta kind of being friends along with Fran, um, like, and they do kind of demonstrate like they have some mutual trust and then um, Meg betrays her because, you know, oh, her ability to go to college is put on the line as uh, what her, as what Joni tells her. And then she betrays her. And I don't know, back to like kind of politics that reminded me a lot of like, you know, kind of more progressive liberals historically being willing to align with fascists if it's in their best interest. And the other thing too is, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, if this were a more middle-class family, I mean, you, you see, the political dynamics play out. You know, you see people, you know, seeing their family over the holidays. You might have a conservative uncle or, you know, cousin. And then they would be arguing, I feel like, similar things around the table, but they're not arguing about, you know, who's getting the million dollars in their will. Like, that, that's the that's the deciding thing, which you mentioned is sort of the, what separates this this family. Yeah, like, uh, like I work at a law firm and I scan in some files about like uh, estate planning when families die and then they're trying to distribute the farmland. And I mean, obviously the murders maybe a step further than the average family, but, you know, even families that seem to get along, maybe they have some disagreements, like they go at each other's throats when, you know, millions of dollars are on the line. Yeah, when, you're, when your well-being is uh, up for grabs or, you know, you, I mean, like for, for ransom, they don't really, I mean, presumably, I guess his parents were paying for his way, you know, Linda and Richard. They don't really say, it doesn't really seem like maybe Harlan was paying for his lifestyle too. I just kind of took him as sort of a, kind of like a trust fund kid. He was just getting, he wasn't doing anything. He was just getting money to live his his lifestyle or his, whatever it is he was doing. And, you know, once that threat is cut off, well, I guess it makes more sense he was getting money from Harlan because, you know, his mom still had this company, whether or not Harlan was around or not. But Harlan dying and not giving him his inheritance would leave him with nothing. So it seemed like he was getting, you know, the, the silver spoon from from Harlan. Something I, I just thought of, too, is that. So the the idea throughout the film as well is that everybody is you know the bootstraps uh get where you get through hard work type thing and even though marta still works hard it's not through her hard work that she gets the wealth it's still a gift mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and yeah. that's it's a commentary on how wealth works it's a lot of people think that you know the american dream is you work so hard that you get wealthy enough to 
invest and then you became you become wealthier but that's it's sort of a pipe dream now and i think that harlan's operating off of an old school mentality in that regard and the fact that you know marta is the hardest working person in the film if it wasn't for harlan's gift she would still be in squalor she'd probably be worse off because she wouldn't have him employing her she was privately employed by him exactly right i'm sure she got paid more than she would if you know she worked at a at a hospital with you know hard hours and all that yeah yeah this uh, it made me think of um a couple episodes ago uh, i did forrest gump talking about uh not, not a movie i really actually like mostly ragging on it but part of that movie is him constantly you know he he ends up with massive wealth mostly just constantly failing upward you know he accidentally comes across all these things that kind of lead to him accumulating a massive amount of wealth nothing really through his own real hard work or skill and um you know you kind of celebrate that and that's kind of the you know really is sort of the the in some sense the american dream of mostly luck you know where you were born who you were employed by when so on and so forth and for marta she also got you know lucked into this and presumably a lawyer now who can help her mother you know gain you know legal status and i don't know i guess her her sister probably already is um would be a legal citizen too so i don't know i just was thinking about that too yeah that's kind of like the uh essentially like you know like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, like that whole thing of running into somebody that thinks that you're special. Like that's always like kind of the story of like children's tales, you know, from live drama to cartoons. It's like, you know, King Arthur, he pulls the stone, you know, the sword out of the stone because he's special. And like, you kind of like grow up hoping that that will happen to you. I don't know. I, I felt that way, like, um, kind of offshoot. So, um, Nicholas Cage was filming a movie here in Portland. It's called Pig. It's very good. Um, and we're like, oh, if we run into him, it'd be so cool if he like gave us a bag of money because he's like really bad with money. And we're like, that's going to be our our come up <laughs> is Nicholas Cage and his terrible ways of how you know dealing with money. But it's always like that's always kind of like our little joke, like you know, oh, you're this old person's going to like like us enough and it's going to be like, here, have my four bedroom house because we'll never be able to. Bye. Yeah, and 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 that comes from a place of love towards Nicholas Cage. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Casey's listening. I mean, <laughs> maybe maybe are you out there, Nick Cage? But we can do a movie that you're in soon. Um, well, it's also like the, you know, um, uh, what was I going to say about that? Is um, I, I don't know. I don't remember my thought. You're. I guess you're talking about sort of getting gifted. I think. Oh, I know what it was. It sort of reminds me of people who. And this is not. I'm not comparing the joke you're making or your situation into this at all because it might because if i don't if i don't say that first it's going to sound like i was because it's not a good comparison i think of like people who sort of like look envy you know very wealthy people like elon musk and sort of envy him in a sense like oh if we you know kiss his ass and we're nice to him he'll you know bring mm-hmm. us along for his like along on the ride you know i think there is this sense of you know the, at the core of some of those people realize that they have no way up and their only way to do that is through some you know uh magic wand or you know major gift kind of situation and so 
it's funny those people will deny what I just said, but I think that's kind of at the core of the truth. The yeah, the simp the simping for the billionaires. Yeah, I mean at the core is like they don't they they don't have most of those people are probably, you know, working class, middle class and they, mm-hmm. they that's their that would be their way to becoming wealthy. They envy that kind of person, unfortunately, and so that's their I don't know, their ticket, their golden ticket. Their come up, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think in our case we just thought we were as cool as a Mongolian T Rex skull. So we figured maybe he would invest in a couple of cool kids. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Because <laughs> he, he bought a T-Rex skull, which was one of his major purchases. Oh, Nicholas Cage is, <laughs> is far cooler than Elon Musk. I'll just put that there too. Yeah. Yeah. You had to, you had to make sure everyone knew. Yeah. That's... No, yeah. No, Nick, oh. Nick, yeah. I mean, Nicholas Cage, I mean, you, you, may, you may, you can say what you will about maybe, you know, some of the movies he's been in, but he, he makes, he does a lot of movies and presumably probably works pretty hard to, be in like seven movies per year. Yeah, the guy doesn't stop. No, I but think no. Yeah. brings energy to them too. He's I a hundred percent agree though. But but yeah, our situation's different. We're joking. Yeah, like, right. I know. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, did, I I hope I didn't. Uh, um, no, 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 not at all. No, no. I'll I'll just really wanted to talk about the T Rex school. Um, <laughs> I wish so, I had a T Rex school. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. He returned it to Mongolia, which was a noble thing. Oh, yeah. he oh he bought it and then returned it to where it was from. I see. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's much better than uh, the entire continent of North America and England. Yeah, shout out to England for their their <laughs> British Museum with nothing British in it. Um, <laughs> or like Indiana Jones, you know, a little questionable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like the the simping for billionaire thing, like that's it's just it, yeah, it's the ass kissing thing, and that in the family, bringing it back to the family, that's pretty much all that they had to offer Harlan was admiration and ass kissing, you know, because they weren't really they were just producing stuff for themselves, but they weren't really bringing anything to the family. In the at the end of the day, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, they. Yeah. The 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 whole family. You know, and and that's the thing too. I mean, we we mentioned the kids, like the I guess the grandkids of Harlan, Meg, and um, Jacob. You know, what is their, you know, what the, what do their parents or sort of see for them as, you know, a future? Ransoms is kind of already kind of determined. He's the sort of this kind of trust fund kid. Or Meg is like at least going to school to educate herself. I don't know. I'm assuming Ransom probably went to. I don't know, like Dartmouth or something, um, you know, wherever Harlan went, I guess. And then Jacob, I guess he's he must be younger. He must be like a high school kid because they don't really mention him in school. So I don't know. Yeah, he's going to be, uh, you know, uh, work for, you know, InfoWars or something. <laughs> oh, God. Or I don't know. Maybe, maybe, he'll, maybe he'll start his, I guess, well, maybe uh, he could use, if he had gotten some inheritance, he could have started his own, uh, his own alt-right uh, newspaper. Or something like or he, that. Or he can like intern at the Epoch Times or something. Oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I was just reading something about that. Um, kind of like going down the rabbit hole on it. It's just a whole. Yeah, it's a cult. It's yeah. Um, but I don't know. Did uh, did anyone have any, you know, last, uh, you know, bits about the movie we didn't cover? I feel like I kind of went through. Most of the notes that I had, I think we talked a lot about the class aspect and the politics. 
Um, but yeah, any other other things we didn't mention? Whether it's even if it's just like a little thing we did, you know, something you noticed in the movie too. Funny things. Oh, well, I mean, like the the last scene, of course, is quite epic. The the placement is perfect. The family is all at a lower level, and she's up on this upper level, kind of like like the royalty, you know. And then the mug, the mug says, <laughs> "My house, my rules." And then I can't see what else it says, but it's something like that. And I just, yeah, just chefs. Yeah. yeah. Another yeah. thing about about that mug, that's this. I went back as soon as I saw that part. And that's the exact same mug that Fran was about to serve to Harlan with his morning coffee when she found him dead, too. <gasps> I didn't notice that's Wow. That's, that's cool. <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, and actually, one thing I just so I, I had this open before, but I didn't look at it. So that line where Jacob says, "You had sex with my grandpa, you dirty," he says, "You dirty anchor baby," was the other part of that. That was completely improvised. He just said that randomly. Oh. That was a big. Uh, I'm trying. Was it? What's her name? Uh, the just just atrocious uh, Republican commentator. Uh, which which uh, one? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, just she's blonde. Oh, um, Lorraine. Tom, no, Tommy Lauren. Tommy Lauren. No, the the. So there's a. <laughs> she's blonde. There's <laughs> there's a there's a, a a gradient sort of like descent into, and she's at the very end of this. Tommy Lauren is at the, the the beginning, and then they progressively become like Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne Conway is the next one, and then psh, this next one. Oh, it gets worse. Um, Anyway, she really used the term anchor babies during uh, the Trump 2016 campaign. And uh, I remember thinking like, shit, am I, am I an anchor baby? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. You know? you're, yeah and I just felt gen. personally attacked by that whole press, that whole uh, election, I guess. Like, but it's, it's, brilliant that that kid used that in that context yeah because he knows nothing about her as a person they don't even know where she's from they just he presumes that <laughs> yeah. she's named oh and fyi the actress that plays marta she's she's cuban by the way if anybody wants to know she's cuban cuban uh, spaniard she like lived in cuba until she was like 18 and then moved to spain so where do they say, where is she actually meant to be from in the movie? Because I say like a bunch of different countries. I, I looked it up. They said Paraguay, Uruguay, and Brazil. And there's no actually no, no one knows. Oh, so they don't that. actually say. So maybe, she could just have been maybe, from Cuba for all we know, because that's where she's yeah. from. Maybe you know, Dawson. Did you look it up? No, I, they did say Ecuador earlier in the movie too, but that was by Walt. So I had no clue. Okay, I got the I got the name now of the of the commentator. Yeah, Ann Coulter. Oh, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. So there's Tommy Loren, and then the decay happens. Kellyanne Conway, the decay, like it's like the Emperor Palpatine, uh-huh. eventually becomes Ann Ann Coulter. Way to throw the Star Wars in there. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> just just her, her just her soul just slowly becomes a uh, a Sith Lord. Yeah, she's eventually just like. Strike me down with your anger. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the, I was looking through like some of these other trivia things aren't quite as. I just like that that line though was completely improvised. Um, 
But I guess so. It says uh, I think that you don't hear at least I didn't hear the anchor baby part because I think a bunch of character the characters are yelling all at the same time, so it's hard to hear it. Um, there's something else about that end scene too that I was going to mention where you kind of show her at the top and they're all kind of walking away, but I don't remember what it was. I mean, oh, I think it's well. I was going to also say is that that's when Linda just you know reads the the secret note that her father had left for her um, to basically, you know, I think she punches Richard too. Cause I think they show him a minute later with like a black eye. Maybe. Yeah. I, up. I don't know. Either way she finds out. And so he's now also cut out of presumably this company. Cause I think she had a prenup they mentioned. So he's not getting anything. He gets nothing. Linda's really the only one out of the whole group that I feel like, kind of stays within her class or her, you know, her status in some sense. All the rest of them are are pretty much fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Like Joni, she's like got her skincare line. It's totally like an MLM. Like she gives me like Instagram influencer MLM vibes. Like it's not just skincare. It's it's a life experience. <laughs> blah blah blah. I'm like, woo, sell that capitalism harder. I love the line when they're talking when uh, Benoit Blanc comes in and she says, I read a tweet about an article about you, which I just thought was a great line. (laughs) Yes. Like she didn't read the she didn't read the article. And then I think that Linda has to like name dropping, like, I read your profile in whatever Mag New Yorker or whatever it was. Mm Mm-hmm. She actually read it. Yeah, Yeah. That was like right after Jody too. So yeah, that's it's kind of like how a lot of uh, discourse goes goes in in the the United States is like oh I read a commentary on <laughs> on the commentary or whatever a summary you know digested into you know two hundred characters everyone gets their information via some elaborate game of telephone and it's usually just some bastardized version of the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really just Jacob, the son, and like, you know, on some, uh, you know, uh, some big Twitter account, you know, just pumping out, you know, nonsense, which his then, uh, I guess his aunt then reads. <laughs> or some, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, that kid's going to cause trouble, I know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's got the tools. Twitter. Good and, old Twitter. And now... Every every ounce of uh, of presumption that he has about immigrant people is like completely validated in his mind. Oh yeah, because he had this experience, and all you have to have is one antidotal experience or whatever, and then that's that's all you need. It's called confirmation bias. Yeah, it's the catalyst for it, his life story. Now you know. Mm-hmm. He knew a girl from Paraguay <laughs> that took his family. But yeah, anyone have any last any last closing thoughts, and we can send it off. Uh, I got nothing. I got. I guess. I guess. I guess that's. I guess that means the the uh, the holster is dry, or something. Bucket barrel. I don't know. I think I messed up that metaphor. Uh, it was a it was a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking about this with you folks. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much, all for uh, for uh, Dawson, uh, Amanda, and uh, Al for joining me to talk about. Knives Out, and uh, anyone who wants to listen to the podcast can check it out on uh, any platform where you can find podcasts. And uh, have a good one, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>